This is the weekend edition of The Code Report. Hello and welcome. India's merchandise trade deficit has actually hit a all-time high in the month of October, thanks mostly to a big rise in imports, including, believe it or not, gold. It's not about gold that you can't believe, but it's happening after a while, it does appear. So the trade deficit rose to an all-time high of about $31.4 billion in October, and this is a surprise number. The overall export figures have been soft, while September to October, we've seen a rise in exports of goods from India. But overall exports this year at least has been relatively soft and we've not seen the growth. The reason for that, of course, is that international markets are weak and Europe and America are not seeing as strong a demand as we would like, particularly when it comes to merchandise exports. But the interesting thing I thought was that even services exports have slowed down between September and October. But let's try and understand two or three things. One, of course, is why is this happening right now? But more importantly, what is the composition of exports in India? When we talk about exports, What are the kind of industries we're talking about? What are the companies that they represent or constitute? And why or how is it that some of these sectors are doing not so well today? And what could counterbalance it, if at all, in coming months and years? To do all of that, I'm joined by Dr. Ajay Sahai. He is the Director General and CEO of the Federation of Indian Export Organizations, FIO. FIO is a body that's actually set up by the Ministry of Commerce, Government of India, as well as private trade. It's almost like a partnership between the government and private sector to promote India's exports. And Dr. Sai has earlier worked with the Director General of Foreign Trade that's in the government and in its policy division and where he played a key role in the formulation of foreign trade policy from 1996 to 2003. He specializes in agreement on subsidies and countervailing measures of the World Trade Organization and he's defended numerous anti-subsidy cases against Indian export products in the European Union, United States, South Africa, Brazil and Canada. He's also been a key member of many Government of India delegations, past and present, to various countries in the context of trade. He's also a member of High-Powered Committee on Export Promotion Schemes, constituted by the Department of Commerce, member of Governing Council of the Leather Skill Council. Leather, do remember, is a big exporter from India. It's in this context that I'm happy to be joined by Jay Sahai, and thank you so much for joining me. Let me start with the first sort of broad question, which is that we've seen a record deficit in trade in the month of October and going from September to October. Why has this happened? One of the reasons for record trade deficit is that, uh, of course, export has not improved in the way that imports growth has happened. But if you're looking into the import side also, we are seeing a growth of around $8 billion happening in October as compared to the October 2022. Primarily, it is on account of oil and gold imports. If you are talking about non-jewelry and non-oil imports, the non-oil and gold jewelry imports has grown up by around 1.5 billion, which is a marginal one. And probably, in a way, you can say that it's a good sign if gold imports has happened. Much of it may find a way it's true to jewelry export with a lead time of two to three months. We have to see whether this is just a demand for the domestic consumption or it leads to export. But generally, whenever there has been a surge in gold imports, much of it finds a way into an export market also. I think for important for us is to do a profiling of imports. I'm not against imports if that is of the capital goods or the raw material, because that shows sign of industrial recovery and industry manufacturing growth. We are concerned with the imports of the finished goods, particularly of the consumer durables, which is happening. But I personally feel that the way the government is attracting investment in the PLI is key. 
many of the consumer goods sectors will see a heat on imports also and in times to come maybe in a time frame of three to five years we will not only see much drop in imports on the consumer goods on the contrary we will see much better exports of these goods we are seeing that not only the mobile but probably in the white goods segment lot of tv are being exported by some of the multinational companies who have established their plants in india and this is a trend which will continue so of course uh, rising trade deficit is a cause of concern but i think we will more interested to do a profiling and to see whether it is because of the finished goods and that is a cause of concern and we need to talk to the industry in what way we can look into the substitution of these imports by the domestic production right okay so and that is import and not to dwell too much into it because i'm going to talk to you more about exports today so why are export numbers again just to give a broad sense to those who are listening or watching why have exports on a relative basis been weak this year so in fact the demand globally has taken it it is not that india's exports are showing not good results is globally that is the trend whether you are talking about china you are talking about japan or even our southeast asian competitors they are facing the same trend and it has much to do with the global economy we know that interest rates have been formed up everywhere inflation is pretty high so a on the one hand the stock is so with importing with the high interest rate they are keeping a very lean inventory and b since in the past lot of imports have taken place inventories are high with the interest rate moving that probably the consumer demand has also taken a hit and this has affected all the demand for most of the product in some of the segment we may see some good trend even now so if you are living apart pharmaceuticals and food products in most of the other products we are seeing that demand is taking a hit and that's why the number for which has come for the month of october is a good sign because in many of these products though the demand has taken a hit but india's exports have improved that means that we have eaten out the share of some of our competitors and if that is happening that shows that the strength of those sectors is growing so far as we are talking about the comparative advantage surplus right so if you were to break that down you said food products and pharmaceuticals are doing well as compared to many other sectors is that right no i'm saying that these segments are not affected by the demand if you are looking into sectors which are doing well i think in electronic sector we are doing extremely well one of the reason is that we have a low base india was not exporting electronic 2 to 3 years down the line we are still on a base of around 25 to 30 billion dollar but the way it is improving i'm pretty sure that in next 5 years probably it may be overcoming the engineering exports of the country if you are looking into the profile of the country a quarter of the total export is of the engineering product followed by to a large extent pharma and chemicals then gems and jewelry and textile the rest of the sectors are minor so far as the percentage share is concerned what we are seeing a distinct trend is that now we are exporting much more technology driven products and much more knowledge driven product as compared to labor driven products of the past so for us it's very important that we follow a strategy which push the sunrise sector at the same time we have to keep pushing on the employment intensive sectors because if not for the export though of course they are important for export at least for the job creation they are extremely important i'm going to come to the break up in a moment but let me come back to the larger figure first so in 2022 we did total exports of about 770 billion 
2023, we were aiming for about 900 billion. I think there were some talks about 1 trillion as well, but let's stick to 900 billion for now, of which about $500 billion was merchandised as a target for 2023. That's the current year. At the current run rate, it doesn't look like we are going much above $400 billion. Would that be fair? At the moment, we'll be projecting a figure which is close to $420 to $425 billion. Unless, because of the conflict in the Middle East, situation gets further deteriorated. If that happens, numbers may revise onwards. But as of now, I'm looking at a figure of around $425 billion, so far a good start answer. In the services sector, we are looking into around $375 billion plus of the services. So, in a way, you can say that as against 770, what we are required. As of now, our aim is to reach around 800, 825 billion. Okay. I'm going to come back to you and ask you to break it up again. So, let's say we have a basket of new export goods, including the mobile phones and, you know, all the stuff that, let's say, Foxconn is making or others are making from India, electronics, components, and so on. Now, if you were to take that away, where do we stand at this point of time in this $33 billion that we are exporting per month presently? I think when you are looking into the figure, if you are taking out mobile exports, okay, you can say that every month you can take around $1.5 billion out of it. So it will not be affecting much of export into that. At the same time, mobile imports have a lot of imported components also. So that also needs to be looked into. I think we need to look into the totality, the totality of the picture which is emerging, that we are seeing the globalization of the production happening. Multinationals companies are coming to the country. They are looking into India as a big market. At the same time, they are using India as a hub for global export also. The future or the near future of the future is looking good. But I'm just trying to understand now, our current, the new export basket, you're saying is only a couple of billion dollars. So suppose we exported, let's say, $33 billion last month, that's October. Of that, only about 2 or $3 billion would be the new basket. Would that be correct? New but In fact, in every segment, we are having little new products coming in and new markets also getting added up. So when you are doing export, some market may not be doing well. So you move to the new market even from India, the product profile, if you're talking about the engineering sector, five years down the line, we may be in the low end of the engineering product. Today, we may be in the medium range of engineering product. Gradually, the sophistication is happening into the country. We have the advantage of qualified manpower so far that the technology was an issue, but now since multinational companies are coming into country, foreign investment is flowing in. To a large extent, the technology issue is also being bridged at this point. Right. And there is an international market, which is obviously going through its own motions right now. But what I'm trying to understand is the export basket as it was, let's say, five years ago versus what it is today and what is within that basket, from what you're saying to me, has not changed all that much, except for a few billion dollars here and there. What I'm saying to thee, if you are looking into, except for the electronic sector, not much change has happened. But I think for five... And, and, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Too small a time to change the composition of exports happening. When you're looking into the composition of exports or diversification of market, one has to look into a period of 10 to 15 years because it's a slow process. Even when you've developed a product, you have to look into what could be the possible market. 
You have to look into the market access issues into those and then only you can start exporting that. Let me come back to the past and the present. So you said about roughly 25% of our exports today is engineering linked? Yeah, that's true. Okay, could you break that down a little further? I mean, when we say engineering, what no, are we referring when to? When I'm talking about the engineering, the change which I would like to explain here, that in the past, even when the engineering was contributing to around 20%, it was dominated by export of iron and steel only. Today, it is dominated by export of automobile. So, a lot of value addition within the sector is also happening. Today, if you are looking into the automobile and auto component, together they account for around $20 billion plus of exports. If I'm adding to the machinery, it's an under $17 billion. The short point which I'm making is that in within the segments also, a lot of changes are happening to move to the value-added segments of export within the segment. Sure. And when you say $20 billion of automotive, you mean what Maruti is exporting or Hyundai is exporting? Absolutely. or Right. Yes. Okay. So, but you're saying that we used to define iron and steel exports under engineering earlier? Yeah, that's true. And we were defining just, I mean, plain iron and steel, like carbon steel and... Today also it is being defined, but that's a very minor segment which is out of the total engineering export which is happening now. Earlier that was one of the dominant segments. Right. And when you say $20 billion, you obviously mean annually $20 billion, right? That's okay. So in per month, this is really maybe $1.5 to $2 billion. That's correct. If you could just break up again, let's say the top three export categories today by contribution to value, what would they be? Top three today would be engineering, followed by petroleum, followed by pharma and chemicals together. Okay. So petroleum, we of course know. I mean, that's companies like Reliance. They're importing crude, but exporting finished product. Now, let's talk about pharmaceuticals uh, for a moment. How have things changed there? I mean, particularly pre-COVID, COVID and now. No, in fact, during the COVID, when India started supplying vaccination for the COVID, we had the goodwill of many countries, which over a period have translated into the market also. Most of the countries have realized that so far the qualities are concerned, Indian pharma is now meeting the best of the quality standards. Most of them have either the FDA standards or they have the corresponding EU standards also. And that's why on the quality front, we are not having any kind of issues. So when the costs are concerned, we are much competitive as compared to any multinationals who are supplying the similar kinds of products. Still in the pharma, market access is an issue. In some of the market leaders, say for China, getting the market access takes enormous time. Even in some of the countries with whom now we are in the free trade agreement, and we have carved out a clause that if we have got the same drugs approved by FDA or in EU or in Australia or in Japan, there is now an expeditious statement for providing the market access. But wherever this is not there, the access to the market is taking enormous time, maybe because of the regulatory concern, maybe because of the dominance of the multinational companies there. Sure. So when we started, we spoke about you know demand conditions in the United States, Europe and other markets. Now, let's pick one which is somewhat visible, which is garments, which is linked to textiles, of course. How has that market been doing? And also, when you look at your membership, which is, let's say, over 16,000 members, how many are in the garment textile sector? How many are in engineering? Or let me put it this way, which are your top three or four member category? Today, we have 36,000 members. In 36,000 members, I think my biggest category will be engineering, which will be around 5,000, followed by textile, which may be under 4,000. And then we have a lot many exporters of handicraft, which includes carpet. 
So we'll be under 2,000 to 3,000 exporters who are into handicraft, including carpets exports. Right. So the contribution to value, therefore, is not commensurate with size. If you are looking into my total membership contribution to exports, that will be as high around 65% of the country's exports. But then the top 100 companies, including Relas, including Nara, including Tata Steel, they may be contributing on their own to around 40% of the country's exports. And that's a fact also. We have around 2 lakhs exporters, but top 10,000 exporters may be accounting for 80% of the country's exports. And that happens wherever you have a nice number of exporters. Right. And let's touch upon garments for a moment, because I said it's a visible sector. There are listed companies. Some of them are actually doing well now compared to the last few years. So how are things looking in the garment space at this point of time and its contribution to the $33 billion export number? No, in fact, if you're looking into garment exports as a whole, textile export as a whole, we close to around $40 billion. The garment alone was around 13 to $14 billion. In garment export, we are competitive except for the fact that some of our competitors who have the advantage of tariff, either they have the free trade agreement in the major market or being the LDC, they enjoy concession. That was, I think, denying the market to India. But now with those countries, we are working out on the free trade agreement. In Australia, we already have thought a zero-duty access, so we are competing with them at par. With UK, we are expecting that to happen in a month or so. And probably by next year, we may have the same thing happening in the EU. Once that happens to a large extent, I think we will be having the level playing field with those exporters. And since we have still the volumes with us, probably that will help us to get a greater market access. So what you're saying is that countries like Bangladesh who enjoy some of those tariff advantages as least developed countries? Yeah, Bangladesh enjoys tariff advantage being the LDC. Vietnam has a very aggressive FTA strategy. They have now FTA with Europe, they have an FTA with ASEAN, they have FTA with Australia. Since they have that advantage and probably being a very big producing hub, India may not be able to provide that kind of concession which these countries can easily provide because they need not to be so much concerned of the domestic manufacturing. And that's why probably when we are negotiating, we have to be a little careful in a very aggressive marketing strategy. Right. So when you talk about your membership base at 36,000 and the 80-20 principle obviously applies. So let me talk about the 80% because the 20% will take care of themselves broadly. What would be their biggest constraints to growth and scale at this point? I think the biggest constraint is finance because whatever claims being made by the banks that there is no dearth of finance when you come to the finance, particularly collateral free finance is not available. We have the schemes which provide for collateral free lending, but it just happens on paper. Practically, if you are not having collateral, you have a good order, you will not, banks will not be coming forward to help you out. The good thing which has happened in last few months is the emergence of fintech companies. And these fintech companies, based on your export turnover, based on your GST turnover, they are in a position to provide some kind of support. But since they already have a very limitation of funds and the funds are not flowing, and we have seen that the fund flow position has deteriorated in last few months, there is a challenge. So I think the biggest challenge which they are facing is on the finance. And then also in the marketing, because a lot of them are so small that they hardly have the financial resources to go for an aggressive marketing. And the fund which is available with the government for support of the marketing is too small. 
our total purpose of marketing access fund is around 200 crore and we are talking about an export of 440 450 billion dollar that's why FIO is always proposing that we should have an export development fund with a corpus of around one percent of the export value so that we provide a showcasing to our smes i think indian smes have some of the best products and services but that has not been displayed and if we are in a position to display much of the business may happen to them for over a period of time but you also have i mean i know this must be a smaller let's say factor or component let's say an amazon today which is picking up goods or displaying goods from a local manufacturer in a small town and then displaying them to potential buyers elsewhere in the world and obviously then importing that or exporting that depending on where you are so is that making any difference at all or is that too small in fact, that's the trend which has started in last two years. Still, we have to move at long distance. If you look into the e-commerce export of the country, it is around 25 to $30 billion as of now. We are looking into a 10x multiplier for the sector in the next five years. There is still a few regulatory issues which needs to be looked into. We need to provide the same treatment to e-commerce export what we are providing to our conventional exports. We have made a lot of progress in last few months we are waiting for a new e-commerce policy also to be unveiled by the government soon e-commerce retail export has been recognized by the dgft in the new foreign trade policy we are looking into setting up the e-commerce zones into the country where under one umbrella you can have the services of bank fintech company logistics company foreign post office customs regulatory authorities so that e-commerce player just move to the zone or to a park and all the facility is available to them. Let me assure you that in next five to seven years, I'm looking into an export of about 250 to $300 billion of e-commerce retail exports only. Right. And, and, and you're saying that we are at about $25 billion today annually, only in a few years, which is bigger than many of your individual sectors today, no, including government. But opportunities here are tremendous. And many of the schemes like GI product or one district, one product, can also yield result in a very short time when you bring them on the electronic platform. Please bear in mind that those who are producing these kinds of products, they don't have the deep pockets to go for conventional marketing. And we are encouraging also the newcomers to test the market through the e-commerce portal. Because if you are selling a product in a partner market, and over a period of time, you feel that 70% of my customer is coming from U.S., you can very well be assured that U.S. is possible market when you move to the conventional mode of it. So that's a good groundwork which can be done by the SMEs of the countries. So if I were to take an example of, let's say, a carpet maker from Jaipur, and let's say the carpet maker was exporting a million dollars or five million dollars worth of carpets every year. And today, uh, part of it is obviously going through e-commerce. So my question is, has e-commerce expanded the market or has it only, you know, taken out what would have otherwise gone by ship or by air? E-commerce has expanded the market because the customer which is coming for the e-commerce was not earlier available. Yeah, earlier it was mostly B2B businesses. Now we are talking about B2C businesses. And that's why those who are coming on the e-commerce, by and large, they are different than those who are coming for the conventional but the size of the manufacturing pie for that carpet maker, to use the same example, has expanded, is my question. Absolutely. Let us look into the differentiation between a B2B and B2C e-commerce. 
B2C e-commerce is highly tailor-made also, which may not be for the B2B. And that's why the clientele for B2C is completely different from a B2B perspective. Sure. But as long as that carpet maker is making, let's say if she or he was making a thousand carpets in 2018. Yeah. He or she is making 1200 or 1500 carpets today. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. Okay. So now let me come back to the broader question again. So we did say that there is a demand slowdown in the Western world and that's been the case post-COVID and it may pick up, it may not, we don't know. So why is then the traditional export base not growing as much as it could? How much of it is to do with demand? How much of it is to do with supply? And when I say supply, how much of it is to do with the very capability of companies to manage and actually grow uh, in this environment? When I say in this environment, that includes the points you made about access to finance and so on. No, let us bear in mind that whenever the size of the cake is shrinking, it becomes very important how aggressive you are in the market. Unfortunately, at that front, Indian exporters are not doing well. Because if the markets are not giving you immediate response, most of them sh being short of the fund, they are not showcasing their product. And that is something which we are trying to repeatedly communicate to our members that is very important that you be visible in the market even when the conditions are not conducive. Because tomorrow when the condition improves, if you were not visible in the market, business will go to someone else. So as of now, I think it's a, you can say cash 22 kind of situation for them. They are not getting any immediate response. And since the response is not happening, they are saying there is no point in showcasing at this point of time. That's why some kind of support from the government can come very handy. If government can provide some kind of assistance to encourage them to showcase at this point of time, where they can make even the break-even, that is something which will help the country in the next three to four years' time. Right. Okay. So let me touch on value addition, which is a critical component of all of this. So when we compete with Bangladesh, let's say, it assumes that we are mostly making the same stuff for the same people. Could be Gap or uh, Marks and Spencers internationally and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and therefore, you're competing with someone from uh, Bangladesh who could be doing the same thing. But when you're making carpets in Jaipur or you're producing a more, uh, let's say, uh, intricate uh, engineering uh, product, then perhaps the competition is not so much and not so sensitive. What's your sense? I mean, where are we in that journey to, let's say, higher value added? When you look at your own base of 36,000 companies or organizations, how many of them do you feel are, let's say, adding more value than they were doing about five years ago? And what does the journey look like? Well, in fact, as a thumb rule, I will say that all of them, they are adding more value because if you want to survive in the market today, it is extremely important that you cut down your cost and you improve the efficiency and thereby increasing the cost of the product also. Some of them have moved to the branded segment of exports and there they are not having any competition. We are competing with Bangladesh because they are exporting shirt, we are exporting shirt. But if I'm exporting arrow shirt, there is no competition from Bangladesh. So that's one point. The advantage to some of the country besides being tariff has been on the efficiency also. The labor probably in Bangladesh is much more productive as labor in India. And that's why a lot of work needs to be done on the skilling side also. There is need to skill up the skill and reskill the worker. A lot of work is being done on that. Secondly, also, I think we have to look into to what extent we can, instead of exporting the raw material, 
which at times make my competitor most competitive as compared to me. We can export the value-added product because in the process, you are putting less pressure on the logistics also. So I think we need to look into this kind of ecosystem where we encourage those who are exporting value-added product and at the same time discuss that who want to export the raw material or intermediate. I think in some of the product where the government has come with the export tariff or they are looking into the minimum export price are the mechanism where they are discouraging exporting the raw materials. Right. You touched on logistics and these are my last couple of points. I mean, it's a very broad subject, so I don't want to go into the all of logistics. But when you look at it from the eyes of a small manufacturer, whether it's a carpet once again or it's an engineering product or something else, how friendly would you say is the logistics infrastructure in terms of what it can be and what it can be or what it is competitively? I mean, the same carpet, let's say, to reach, let's say, JNPT near Mumbai or Bundra and then go by ship, the time taken, the cost of that versus, let's say, what another carpet maker, engineering product maker somewhere else in the world would do it. In fact, situation has improved in the country drastically in the last few years. In fact, for the logistics, I think they are the biggest beneficiary of GST. It has truly made the country as a one market. The efficiency of the trucks has gone up tremendously after the EVA bill and the electronic plazas happening. Today, if you are looking to GNPT, the turnaround time of the ship is 28 hours, whereas in Singapore and Colombo, it's around 22 to 24 hours. So we have drastically improved, but still we have some way to go to reach the international benchmark. I think the new logistics policy is aiming at that. Once we invest a lot into the infrastructure and the kind of infrastructure which has been developed on the road, today it takes roughly 20 hours, 22 hours for a truck to reach Mumbai. Earlier it was a two-day plus journey for that. So these efficiencies have happened. We have now the freight corridor also coming and most of it has been operationalized. Once it is fully connected, we will have better logistics efficiency. The good thing for the export sector as of now is that the global freights have come down, which has provided much respite to Indian exporter. But I feel that in times to come, in next three to four years, probably we will have much better logistics, which will not only add to the logistic efficiency, but will bring down the cost of the logistics also for exports. Right. And I do feel that countries like Singapore are doing much better. But then, I mean, the idea is not to compare ourselves with them right now. I mean, we are a large exporting base and Singapore is not. I mean, I guess a lot of it is transshipment. So, you know, as we conclude, we've seen a very high trade deficit in October, which, as you said, obviously is because we've seen a spike imports, including of gold. And it's interesting that why people are buying so much gold, despite tariffs or customs duties being higher than ever before. But if you look ahead in the next year or so, amongst the many sectors that we've talked about, what in your mind holds the maximum promise in terms of value addition, in terms of creating, let's say, jobs or manufacturing jobs, in terms of creating a strong brand India presence internationally? I mean, I'm not saying it's not there, but what can become better or stronger? I think uh, we have done exceptionally well in the engineering sector on all these three parameters. We are doing very well in drugs and pharmaceutical sectors also. Value addition is happening and probably once we start manufacturing parts and components of electronics into India, the value addition will go skyrocketed. So this is a segment where I hope that not next five years that will not be 
exporting a sizable portion of India's export, probably the value addition will also go very high into the country. My concern is basically with regard to the challenges that the labor-intensive sector is facing because whether it's leather, whether it's textile, particularly apparel sector, or in gems and jewelry sector, in all that segment, my global share is going down. And that's a huge cause of concern. I'm not looking into these sectors just from the perspective of exports. I've made it very clear today the demand of the technology product is much more and the size of the market of these products may be limited. But if you are looking into creation of the jobs into the country, these sectors are extremely important. So whatever factors are affecting the growth of these segments, that needs to be looked into very carefully because contrary to the general perception, these segments are under pressure. Right. Dr. Ajay Sai, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your insights. Thank you. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core dot in. Thank you for listening.